the following takes place between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. All right, who wants to watch the rest of the show? Do we have any 24 fans here? 24 fans? Yeah, 24 fans can't like even raise their hand. They have to make noise. Yeah! Uh, it's great to know that I go to church with people who like to be totally stressed out uh, while they watch TV. Also nice to know I've got some people with me because in, in about seven weeks when the season ends, we're actually starting a, a Monday night uh, support group for people who need their Jack Bauer fix. Uh, for the rest of you who are not um, totally addicted to the greatest show in the history of the world, uh, that's okay. You don't have to watch 24 to get what we're going to be talking about tonight, but I, I do want to give you the premise behind it so that it makes sense. Uh, you know the gimmick behind Fox's hit show is that there are 24 episodes, and each episode represents one hour in a day. So the whole season, you're only watching one day, one 24-hour day in, this, in the life of this counterterrorism unit. And, and there are all sorts of plot twists, intersecting storylines, reversals, double betrayals, and it's high-suspense gripping drama. But the glue that holds the entire series together is its main character. You know him as Jack Bauer. Jack is back, and he's an intriguing character. Fighting terrorists, making tough decisions, he like bucks the red tape, does whatever it takes to get results and basically save the world. You know, it doesn't matter where he is, it's like, I need the schematics for the Hyatt parking garage, do it now! You know, and they downloads it and it's a high adrenaline affair and very addictive. Now, this is the second show we're looking at in our new series, Hollywood Jesus, Glimpses of God on the Silver Screen, in which we're using primetime hits to gain a fresh perspective on God and spiritual faith. And I want to go out on a limb here and suggest there's a reason why 24 is so popular, or so addictive, and, and so compelling. I mean, there's no doubt Jack Bauer's like a hero for 21st century life, but I believe he's popular for a, a more profound reason. Now, at the, at the risk of, of sounding blasphemous, I, I'd like to offer the suggestion that perhaps 24 is incredibly popular because Jack Bauer is actually a lot like Jesus. Now, now I know you're like, wait, he doesn't have long hair. I, now, look... I'm indebted actually to Mark Driscoll of Mars Hill Church in Seattle for the following list, but I, I think you'll note that there are several striking correlations between the two. Consider, Jack and Jesus are both dudes who worked in construction at one point. Jack and Jesus have disciples, and just Jack's disciples have names like, you know, Chloe, Bill, and Milo, right? Jack and Jesus both oppose evil and seek to bring forth a glorious shalom or, or peace-filled world free of tyranny and evildoers. And both Jack and Jesus are saviors willing to lay down their life for those they love. They, they were actually both betrayed by a best friend. And Jack and Jesus were both resurrected from death. If you guys remember, this is not spoiler information, but you remember Jack was essentially put to death to fool the Chinese government and then like resuscitated. So some interesting surface parallels, and some of those might be, be more of a stretch than others, but I'd suggest that we're drawn to invest so many hours tracking with Jack Bauer because he represents something. He is, in many ways, a source of security in a very uncertain world, right? I mean, the storyline of 24 is actually pulled from the headlines of modern life. Terrorism, global unrest, political corruption at the highest levels of government, clash of civilizations, hijackers, bombs. And to see that reflected every week on the TV news is, like, unnerving. Like, this is actually, like, real life. It's outside the door. Uh, but there's a sense of security when we, we watch it within an episode of 24 because we know no matter what, Jack will come to the rescue. doesn't matter if he's like duct taped to a chair in a dungeon. If there's a clock ticking, he's going to, Jack will be back, you know? He'll chew through his bindings, snap the necks of his guard, hijack a Hummer, and be to the rescue. The one thing that, that like, I, have you ever noticed how his cell phone battery magically never seems to run out of juice? 
That's the one, like, unreal thing to me. I can go, like, the nuclear bombs and bioterrorism, but, like, cell phones don't do that. <laughs> the suspension of reality. But that's what we do for 24 hours that we invest watching this show. And if only it were like that in the real world. Unfortunately, life is actually that fast-paced, but much more alone. And we may like our jack fix on Monday nights, but in our day-to-day lives, when Tuesday morning comes, it's back to school or work or whatever it is we spend our 24 hours on. Well, what I'd like to do today is kind of use 24 as a springboard to talking about the 24 hours each of us is given every day to invest. Because you've been given a life by God to make count. And the reality is, while you may not have a life as exciting as Jack Bowers, it is challenging. Life is often lonely, disconnected, and stressful. And that's precisely why we need Jesus Christ in it. And so the question is, what if each day you spent your 24 hours intimately connected to the real Savior of our lives, Jesus, what, I, what I'd like to suggest to you, kind of our thesis this afternoon, is that far superior than spending 24 hours with Jack Bauer in a dream world is spending 24 hours with Jesus Christ in the real world. Because that's where true faith is lived out. Now, again, you may be a first-time guest or it's your first time in a church or from a different background. Awesome. You are welcome here. We're not here to arm twist or anything like that. But you need to know something because at, at Liquid, one of our core values is that we believe faith is much more than a set of rules to obey. It's actually an adventure to be lived. That's, that's one of our core values. In your day-to-day life, you've got a choice to stay intimately connected in tune with the creator of the universe who's sovereign over this chaotic world or be swallowed by it whole. 24 hours. How, how do you typically invest yours? I mean, let me ask it this way. If Fox were to make a dramatic series out of your life, what would that look like? Now, we live in a fast-paced world, right? So many things beg for our time, and each of us is only given 24 hours each day. It doesn't matter how much money you have, your education, your role in life, 24 hours is the standard across the board. But what I'd like to challenge you to do this afternoon is to think of your life just like Jack's as a series of episodes to be lived, all within a specific day, all within a specific span of time. Now, now I know the show goes by hour by hour, but I want you to look at your life in two episodes today. First, the one you've already lived, the morning hours, right? When you got up bright and early at 5 a.m. and said, I'm going to church. Oh, look at all this rain. Uh, you know, and you went back to bed. And then after you leave the house from, from 12 noon to 6 p.m., the, the, the afternoon is where you spend the majority of your, your waking hours. Where will you be tomorrow around, you know, 3 o'clock? At work, at school, wherever. But cut your life up into two six-hour episodes. What would they look like from a spiritual perspective? Let's start first with the, with the morning hours. And before we jump in, um, I kind of want to find out who the morning people are here. How, ma- how many of you are morning people? B- b- okay, b- yeah, okay, thank you. Wow, you, you got a break though today. You're like, I'm going this afternoon. Um, before you raise your hand, let me describe that a bit. You know you're a morning person when, you know, as soon as that alarm clock rings, you kind of like, you like rise like Frankenstein, you know? You sit up straight and you're like, uh, first, you know, toilet, second, food, third, villagers to kill. You're ready to go you know, with your day, and you would describe yourself as perky, you know, you're on a first name basis with a paper boy, and you get so excited, you're like, I get to watch the sunrise this morning, but by 9 p.m., you are 
hallucinating. Because <laughs> you are, you are like so tired. Raise your hand if I've just described you, okay? All right, yeah, you are, you are pretty annoying to the rest of us. All right, I need to tell you that. Um, how many of you actually, I'm be curious, wake up actually around 6 a.m.? How many 6 a.m. people? Oh my gosh, 5 a.m.? Anyone 5 a.m.? 4 a.m.? Do you, what, do you work on a farm? That's like, <laughs> you get up that early, you better be milking something, man. That is craziness. Well, my observation is, and it's not research, just my observation is that morning people tend to be a little smug, okay? Uh, I work with one, uh, Mike Leahy, who oversees all our volunteer teams. You know, Mike? They kind of carry this attitude like, you know, we're pretty much better than the rest of you. Uh, like, I get in typically around 9 or so. Mike's already there, all chipper. He's, like, sipping his chamomile tea, and, he's, and I'm like, oh, what's up, dude? And he's like, he's like, great day, man. Just ran 10 miles. How you doing? It's, like, totally annoying. Now, I, I, I'm, okay, I, I'm, I'm uh, I know some of you are, like, still asleep. You're like, what? <laughs> I feel at home at this service. And I, I am not the type of guy who wakes up yodeling, Good morning, God. I'm the type that wakes up and go, good God, it is morning, you know. I'm not the slacker who sleeps until noon, but I'm up and shower typically before my kids go to school, and it's just that I'm not happy about it. <laughs> now, many of you who identify with that have felt guilty that you're not a morning person, right? Some, some of those don't understand where that comes from. Here's where the guilt comes from. At church, in, in books, it seems like everyone who's the most productive people in society are the ones that are up right away and having their time with God and their prayer and their meditation. And the rest of us kind of felt guilty about that. I used to. Okay, I used to have what I call morning envy. <laughs> That's the term Doug Fields gives to it. Actually, in fact, I should give a quick shout out to Doug Fields. He's actually a pastor out in, in Orange County, California, who came up with a concept for 24 a day with God. I'm actually I'm indebted to him for this message. So I'm like, go OC, the OC, West Coast, right? But I, but I don't have morning envy anymore because well, as I studied the life of Jesus, I began to realize that staying connected to God is a 24-7 all-day affair. It just happens to begin in the morning. So, so let's start off simple. If you were to spend a full 24 hours connected to Jesus, how, how would it start? And I'm going to start simple. Like, how about this? Like, like be, could you begin your day tomorrow laying in bed? I know some of you are like, I can do that. I like this approach already. <laughs> what I'm talking about here is trying to practice the discipline of being still for just the first few moments of your day. Psalm 46.10 invites us. It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. David, can we get a tiny bit more light so people can follow along? Because we have these in your notes, actually, and I want people to be able to follow along with us. But this verse, Be still and know that I am God. In other words, the challenge is to begin our day, before we do anything, with a moment of quietness. Not asleep. But with a stillness of soul that allows God to be the first to invade our thoughts and orient us to the reality of our day. Now, for those of you who are early risers, many of you, you know, you wake up, you get out of bed. You, why do you get up early? You want to jump right onto your to-do list. But scriptures invite us to first hit pause and just be still for a moment and begin the day acknowledging God. Knowing him, acknowledging his awesomeness. Acknowledging our dependence on his role in your life. Just soaking in gratitude for his unconditional love for you. Be still and know that he is God. Before anything else invades your day, you orient yourself to the reality of who your God is. That he's sovereign, in control of everything else that you'll encounter in the next 24 hours. And this is hard, folks. I realize for non-morning people, this is not an easy thing. I mean, what do you typically do in the morning when your alarm clock first goes off? What do you do? You can yell it out. What do you do? Right? Yeah, snooze. Okay, yeah, thank you for your honesty, right? Uh, yeah, put on coffee, right? Number one, this is the elixir of the gods, you know? What else, you know? 
TV, right? Maybe you flip on Sports Center as you head for the shower or something. You put on the early show or some other news program, and it's like, bam, you are hit with it. All of a sudden, the ticker starts going, and you're drawn into the news of a broken world. Colleen and I got one of those uh, Bose Wave radios in our bedroom. We got it like as a, as a, as a wedding gift. And this past Thursday morning, the thing like goes off. It's like about 6.15. It goes off. It's like, you know, newsflash Iraq. Apparent suicide bombing, a bridge in Baghdad, 36 killed, 70 injured, checking on the weather. Tsunami hitting the Philippine island. Blah, 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 blah. And a whole town is buried under rubble and the Red Cross looking for survivors. And I'm just waking up, orienting myself to reality. And boom, it's in your face. The chaos, the suffering, the madness of our broken world. We talked about this last week. And when that's the first thing to hit you in the morning, it has a way of distorting reality, suggesting that this is how the world really is. Out of control, one seemingly endless string of senseless tragedies and hurts and injustices. Or worse, depending on what news you listen to, it trivializes the suffering in our world and gets us to believe that the ridiculous things in life are really what's important. Newsflash Los Angeles, Larry Burkhead is the father. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Fair one more report on Anna Nicole Smith. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to marry a billionaire. It's like, oh, man, this is the most critical part of your 24 hours, the morning hours, when you get up. Because what you put in that moment, it's like wet cement, a way of defining your outlook and perspective on what's going to happen the rest of the 24. And the antidote is the alternative that the psalmist offers. Be, let's read it together, still and know that I am God. God invites each of us in this moment of stillness where a soul can find rest in the knowledge that, guess what? God is in his heaven, and he is the creator and Lord over everything. And there's actually, whether you know it or not, there's nothing that's happening today that's new under the sun. <laughs> okay, that's Ecclesiastes. Nothing, nothing new here. Or that escapes the care of his watchful eyes. And when it says, I'll be exalted among the nations, God's like, just, just be quiet for a minute. Know this. I'm above everything. I'm above the politics all of the ranting, all the posturing, all the power plays, all the corruption and suffering in the world. And today, I am going to be seen or glorified through it all. And, and, and that's actually the deepest reality of our 24 hours, that God's in control of everything. And, and if we don't take time to actually pause and take the time to do it, guess what happens? It sets the manic pace for the rest of our day, right? Anxiety floods in, you know, 40-minute you know, delay at the tunnel, you know? Triviality. Oh, why did she marry Kafet? I don't know. You know, that's not reality. <laughs> that's unreality. So the truest thing from the moment you wake up is that God is in his heaven. He is in charge and control over everything that happens on this earth, whether good or bad. Nothing surprises him in this. That in sending his son Jesus to die on a cross, he has absorbed the worst that the world has to offer. And in raising him to life, he offers new life. To anybody who wants it, he cares about all of it and he cares about you. In Psalm 68, 20, we're told, our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. That's one of the favorite titles given to God in the Old Testament, sovereign Lord. You know what sovereign means? Literally, it means independent of all others, supreme in power, rank, or authority. That is, God has supremacy over every ruler, nation, military power, entity on this earth is under his watchful rule and care. Although we may not think so at times, he's in control. And when you orient yourself to that, man, it makes a difference. It's crucial. It was crucial to my friend Chris, who found a tumor in his knee last week. Out of nowhere, it's like this bump, and he goes in and they tried to drain it. He's like, oh my gosh, it's that, it is a tumor. And he had to have go exploratory surgery to determine if it was cancerous. And those, you know, we're talking with him, he's like, those kind of things seem to have a clarifying effect on us. And you don't need encouragement at that moment to take refuge in God's sovereignty. And as I was talking with Chris, he was like, the, the, the single biggest thing he took hope in 
was knowing that although this condition was a, a surprise to him, it was not a surprise to God. And that's how each day should start, with stillness. A kind of meditation on our bed, acknowledging God's goodness and inviting him to order our steps in the hours to come. Now, the next thing I'd encourage you to do, once you've turned off the alarm clock, think you can do this, but just be still for a few moments tomorrow to orient yourself throughout to God, is then not to get out of bed, but to pull up the blankets and take a moment to remind yourself not who God is, but who you are. Who are you? One who is extravagantly loved by this all-powerful God. Like a plant needs, you know, morning water. You need a reminder of God's great love for you every day. Some people don't think they need to be reminded of God's love every day. You're like, I know that, but I question that. I think you do. I mean, I know I need to be reminded that God is crazy about me, that he loves me no matter what, that, that although I'm not number one in the universe, I'm actually not just a number either on this planet, that the sovereign Lord is passionately in love with me, regardless of what the 20% about me feel, you know? The deepest truth is God still loves me. You know the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of the people in your life, in your sphere of influence at all times that are in your world are not going to like you. For whatever reason, 20%. You know, I know and you're like, wait, what? That's just, that's just the math. If you do the math in a crowd this size, last weekend we had over 1,100 men, women, and children at our Easter services. By the way, can we just take a moment to celebrate that? Awesome job, guys. Great job. You reached out to friends and family. And I was like, that is awesome, 1,100 people. But I'm like, with the 80-20 rule, it also means this. <laughs> there, there are at least over 200 people here who aren't going to like me <laughs> or like what I have to say. And that's a congregation in and of itself, and most of them, of course, like to express it. So thank you for the emails. But, but the other 80% of you, don't feel sorry for me. Let me let you in on a, a little bit of a secret. People don't like you either. <laughs> There is 20% in the world, in the marketplace, if you're a businessman, in your world, in your neighborhood, in sports, at school, wherever you go, 20% who wake up not liking you. They'd actually love to see you fail. They'd love to hurt you. And so it's going to happen. Welcome to a sinful and fallen world. That's called reality. But one of the great ways to defend yourself against that 80-20 rule that's going to hit you the moment you step out the door of your home or your apartment is to be reminded of your true worth in God's eyes. The psalmist says this. He says, praise the Lord, for he has shown me his, what's the word, read it together, unfailing love. Here it is again. Your unfailing love is better to me than life itself. How I praise you. Circle that word unfailing in your notes. That is a great word to meditate on. That God's affection for you is unfailing. Just as surely as the sun rises every morning, whether you see it or not, sometimes it's hidden behind the clouds. God's love is pulsating towards you, whether you feel it or not. I have this little ritual I recently started, just a little tip, um, when I turn off my alarm clock, next thing I do is get in the shower, and when the water comes out, that water is a trigger for me, just kind of pulsating down on me to remind me of God's love, just kind of washing over me, showering down on me. You know, we sing that song here sometimes, Rain Down, you know that song, anyone, anyone here like that song? A couple, yeah, a few of you are like, no, not really. Well, that's okay. You're part of David's 20%. He doesn't like you. That's all right. Uh, each morning when I get in the shower and the water comes down on me, it's a reminder of God's love for me because that's the deepest reality too. That no matter what we've done or where we've been, God is crazy about us. Why? Well, the truth is this. I'm created in the image of God. Now, now I, I may have a few scratches and dents, but the Bible says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made that you are an original masterpiece. And that means that both you and I have a tiny strand of the spiritual DNA of the author of the universe who loves us so much that he would send his only son, Jesus, 
to die in your place to display his love. In the morning, you take your stand in that reality or you fall. So I let my, my shower kind of serve as a trigger to remind me of that. If you need a reminder, let me invite you to write Psalm 31, a little card, place it next, next to your shower. That word unfailing, persistent, unshakable. From the moment you wake up, the affection of God radiating towards you as a source of all life. Your unfailing love is better to me than life itself. So here we go. Ready? Make this practical. It is four, about 4.30 or 4.35 on Sunday night in about 14 hours, Monday, 6 a.m. or whatever time you get up. Look what I'm asking you to do. Can you just take a look at this? We're just talking about minutes of being awake. Just to start with stillness. You think you can do that? Okay, be still for me like three minutes to acknowledge that God is sovereign over all. Before you hit the coffee, before you listen to Regis and Kelly, you know, before you watch top 10 plays on ESPN, God, thank you for being Lord over all. Thank you for your love for me. I want to live for you today, not for me, but be part of your plans and take your stand in that. And you are ready to jumpstart your connection. Now, the, the third thing I'm asking you to do before you leave the house is actually kind of elemental. It's almost kind of silly, and that is eat breakfast. Now, it may not be the kind of breakfast you're, you're thinking of. That, that old adage my mom used to say, she's always like, Timmy, don't ever lose the house because, without putting something in your stomach. And I hated that. I, I'm not a breakfast eater. But I found a funny thing as I got older and started working. <laughs> when, when I didn't eat and just rushed, you know, headlong into the day, guess what? Yeah. By 10 a.m., out of gas, crash. Same thing spiritually. When we rush out into the day without being filled up or spiritually nourished, we run out of God, his, his presence like he quickly vanishes. And for that reason, I want to challenge you to take a few moments every morning to eat the daily bread that God provides. And, and that's, that's literally what Jesus calls his word, the Bible. Th- this is the action where you actually take some time with the Bible and you take a piece of it and you hide God's word in your heart. Hide it there so that it begins to guide you, begins to speak to you, so it begins influencing your thoughts and going to guide the way that you're going to live in the world. And that word even hide, that comes from a famous passage also in the Psalms. We're spending some time there this morning. Psalm 119, Psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Circle that word hidden. That you would actually hide God's word in your heart so that you'd carry it with you throughout the day. The, the message paraphrases it this way. I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart so I won't sin myself bankrupt. Isn't that a great way of saying it? The Bible is one of the ways that God speaks to us in the 21st century. And this is very important to understand about the Bible. Because your view of the Bible will determine the Bible's value in your life. Meaning this, that if you treat or view the Bible just like any other writing, like it's no different than Shakespeare, it actually isn't going to have much value in your life. It might be a little bit inspirational, but you might as well read it like the sports scores or, you know, I don't know, the back of the shampoo bottle or something like that. But if you want God's truth, if you want God's wisdom on how to live life to the fullest... And you're open to viewing the Bible as the Bible claims to be the inspired word of God, meaning that God he breathed into this. Then what you do with this is of supreme importance to your life. What I'm suggesting is that you begin a habit, if you haven't already, of building in five minutes each morning to eat something out of God's word. You, you can meditate on a single verse, read a short devotional, whatever. But now that you've taken some time to, to be still, to share words of worship to God, now we take a moment to actually to listen to God's word to us. My friend Stefan does this all the time. He's um, a special K guy. I hate that. He loves to eat stuff like grape nuts and special K. I, I, I think that stuff is like eating gravel, okay? I'm like Captain Crunch Man. Uh, on weekends with my little girl, Lucky Charms, awesome. 
But Steph is a special K guy, and he tells me, he's like, every, he's a, he's a landscaper, so he gets up wicked early, like 5.15. He's like, Tim, in, in the morning, as I eat my cereal, he's like, instead of the sports, I actually just take a minute to, to read one verse over and over. He goes, I do that like for about five, five, ten minutes. One verse, just over and over. And he's like, it has a wonderful way of orienting me to God's reality, to what's important. And on many, more than one occasion, it has provided vital insight about what is to come in his day. You, you think you can do this? Begin your day by, by downloading the schematic from God's word. I'm not even talking about doing an in-depth study here. I'm talking about just taking five minutes, but doing it each day consistently to establish that connection with God. Totally candid. I can't tell you how many people I meet who get shipwrecked when they're like, oh, this is so true. I, I don't read the Bible as much as I should. I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read through the whole Bible in a year. And, and you go to the bookstore and you anyone ever get it, one of those one-year Bibles, right? right? And, and sometimes churches, by the way, we're, we're part of the, the guilt trip here, will be like, yes, read the Bible in a year. Join us in this marathon that less than 1% of you will ever finish. You know, we make you feel guilty. And now it's like, okay, you have to read three or four chapters a day. Ever try this? Like January 1 through 10, you're like cranking. But like by today, April 15th, you're like 287 chapters behind. And it's like Leviticus, whatever. I don't even know. Some of you never even make it to the New Testament. What I want to do is just relieve you from some of the guilt of human tradition. Most of the times, you, you know, you set it down. You feel like a fair. Like, I, I guess I'm just not a, a very good Christian. I just, you know, let me give you a little hope. My encouragement would be to read for depth and not distance. The emphasis in the Bible is on consistency, not length of time. And human formulas are, are set up to make us feel guilty. But Jesus said, he said, come to me because my yoke is light. He wants us to enjoy time with him in his word, not feel burdened by it. Should you read the Bible? Absolutely. Daily, I could make a case for that based on what's in the Bible. But for those of you who are not currently doing it, which is many, if not the majority of us, what if you started tomorrow with one minute? What if you said tomorrow morning, okay, for, for a minute, a minute a day, I'm going to read just to develop an appetite. Just, just like your body needs something to nourish itself on, your soul needs substance in the morning or you'll crash spiritually. So tomorrow morning as you eat your you know, cup of cereal or whatever, you nourish yourself on God's word too. And some of the first service was kind of like, well, dude, I, where do I even like start? I have no I- idea here. And I was like, you know, what? something funny one time someone said to me, and they were like, start in Proverbs. You guys know Proverbs? It's kind of middle of the Bible. It's called wisdom literature. It actually has 31 chapters. And I, I was like, oh, this is great. What, what's the high spiritual content? And they're like, no, it's just there are 31 chapters. So whatever day it is, <laughs> you know, it's about that many times, you know, days in the month. So if, you're, if it's the 15th, you start reading chapter 15. And every chapter takes about two minutes to read. That, that's one way that you just start to develop an appetite. All right? You just begin, just even for a few minutes. And here's the deal. If you don't like the idea of eating a portion of God's word while you eat your breakfast, let me give you, this is, this is a holy moment, I want to give you church-sanctioned permission to set your Bible near your toilet. It's, t- it's okay to do this. All right? In my house, it's the only quiet place in my house anyway, all right? There's, there's no law in here that says you can't read the Bible while you kind of get things going. I want, you know, you know, think about it this way. God created you. He knows how the whole plumbing things worked, okay? He's not grossed out by it. Just get used to it for a minute. Could you do that tomorrow? Two minutes, develop the appetite and hide God's word in your heart because you want to actually spend the rest of the day connecting your heart with God's desires. And once you've done that, you're powered up for the adventure of whatever your next 24 hours may bring. So this is just the beginning, okay? The foundation of 24, a day with God. Have you felt, how many of you felt like this is doable so far? You're like, I I think I could do that. Yeah, okay. 
Five, four to five minutes to be still, a couple minutes to, to meditate or soak in his words to you. That's doable. Could you do that tomorrow morning when the alarm clock goes off? All right. Then what I want to challenge you to do next is probably the hardest piece of 24 hours with God. And that is to take God with you once you leave the house. And the way you're going to do that is actually by living out of your backpack. Okay? And you're like, backpack? I kind of want to use a backpack as an illustration. You can go ahead one slide there if you would, Jen. But I want to use a backpack as an illustration of our faith, okay? This, this, imagine this backpack represents your faith, okay? Your, your connection with God. So you leave the house, and the idea is, is that in the morning, you know, you gather your stuff up, but the different things that we talked about. So like, for instance, I've got, I've got my alarm clock in here. This represents those still moments, just a couple minutes that I spent worshiping God the moment I wake up. I said, God, you're sovereign. You're the creator, control of everything. I love you. I want to walk with you today. And, and you take your alarm clock, you put it in your backpack. Okay. Then I throw in, now it's funny, I kind of threw in like some soap here. Because, where, where, you know, I, in the shower is where it gets going for me. Where God's love is pouring down on you. So you spend some time in the shower just being reminded of God's affection for you. And then you take this Bible, some of God's word. You're kind of hiding it in your heart here, okay? This is all part of your connection with God. And, and you put it in your backpack. And I'm going to actually throw a coffee cup in there as well, okay? Some of you are like, now I'm talking caffeine. No, no. This is a symbol of beginning a morning conversation with God that's meant to continue. You've jump-started your connection, not just with coffee, but you're initiating an ongoing conversation with God through prayer and his word back to you. And you put all of this in your backpack. Backpack, again, represents your faith. Oh, and by the way, I realize we all have, you know, if backpack represents your, your, your relationship with God, I realize we, we all are at different points in our faith journeys. So, for instance, like this, this, you know, this is about the side of my backpack. This is Mike Leahy's backpack. <laughs> this is actually the one I use, you know, on Sundays. It's kind of like, you know, a spiritual superstar. Uh, no, not so much, all right? We're all at different places, okay? But we've all got our different size backpacks. But the idea is you put your faith on, you take it with you into the day, and, and your relationship with God once you leave the house and wherever it is that you go. Where do you go? An office. Or you're, maybe you're in the workforce. Or maybe you go to school or the gym. Or maybe you're actually, you, you work at home. You're, you stay at home, whatever. Wherever you spend their nine to five. And my rhetorical question to you is what do you do with this thing in episode two of your 24 hours? Once you leave the house, what do you do with your faith, your connection? Because my suspicion is in a crowd this size, some of you actually, once you get to work, off comes the backpack. Maybe, maybe tucked away for that hour you were at church on Sunday. Or, or you leave it in the car, maybe even in the trunk out of sight. Because some people, when they get to work, they take it off and it's like, well, no, this, now it's you know, down to business, done with that spiritual stuff. Or do you take your faith and actually wear it throughout the day so that it invades every piece of who you are and every part of who you are? You actually feel God's presence in, and he carry it with you and it actually influences the way you think and feel and treat one another. Do you make it part of the ongoing adventure of the main episode Take it to school if you're a student. You don't leave it. You live it. Faith in action. Here's a dirty secret. As a pastor, I see the most problems during episode two. The following takes place between the hours of 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. once we leave the house. And this problem has a special name. It's called a compartmentalized faith. A compartmentalized faith describes the person who gives God priority, you know, some of the time, but like not all the time. It's what I may refer to as kind of like a salad bar, Christianity. You kind of pick and choose the parts of your faith in the moments where you live a Christ-like life at some times. But at other times, I choose to live a Christ-less life. 
So, you know, when other people are watching, when the lights are on, I'm going to choose God's way. But when the lights are off behind closed doors, all bets are off. A perfect example of a compartmentalized lifestyle are those ads, you know, promoting tourism in Las Vegas. You've seen these, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Perfect illustration of compartmentalized living. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So if you want to cheat on your spouse, dude, no problem. We've got your back. If you want to gamble away your life savings, we will never tell. (laughs) You can live one way at home and another way in Vegas. Now, I realize this is not Vegas. This is Morristown, and it's kind of an odd illustration because Vegas is a, it's a totally different town. I mean, like, you know, the chapel's there. They have two drink minimums. It's, like, totally different. But bringing it back here, the key to 24 living is to recognize when are you most tempted to actually go, I'm going to just take this thing and set it down. Some of you travel, and you know how foolish it is to take off your backpack nowadays at an airport. <laughs> Right? Post 9-11, you go to, go, the airport security is unbelievable. You set your bag down in Newark Liberty International Airport, and you just like walk into a magazine store, what happens, man? Yeah, chaos breaks out. Sirens, guard dogs, the overzealous guy with the hand wand, you know, you, you, you have like chaos everywhere taking off your backpack. You didn't even think it's that big of a deal. Like, I'm just going to get like a latte. But the same thing is true with your spiritual life. When you set your backpack down for even a small thing you think is no big deal, it actually causes chaos. There are consequences. God's blessing on your life is at stake. And that's one of the reasons we come to church so that every week we get a consistent opportunity to examine our faith. Second Corinthians 13, Paul urges us this. He says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. I mean, that's what we want, right? An authentic faith. We want a 24-7 faith. So let's put some tests out there and see how we do. Because one of the key moments I think, honestly, all of us struggle with when we drop our backpack is when integrity is required. When you're in a situation that requires you to have integrity, then this is easiest to drop off because you think nobody's watching. It's like, I can get away with this. I can go the the world's way instead of God's way. No one's even going to really notice. So, for instance, here we go. Let's get personal. You're on a business trip, and it's like you're late. You know, it's like, oh, I've been at meetings all day, traveling. I'm exhausted. I'm far away from home. And when you get to the hotel room, you just leave the backpack. You know, I'm just going to kind of leave that in the hallway. And you go inside, and you purchase the porn channel. Or you got your backpack on, you go out at night with your friends and colleagues, but your, but your backpack kind of like, it's all going well, but you kind of like, you just kind of let it slip to one arm behind your back because it doesn't really fit in with your friends and their excesses at the bar. Hey, what, okay. Or, or middle of the day, you're, you, know, you know this one, right? You're late to a meeting because you totally procrastinate, but by the time you get to the appointment, it's like, I'm leaving the backpack in the trunk uh, because, dude, the traffic was so bad, I couldn't do anything about it. Sorry, handcuffed. I, I didn't. Or students, right? At school, you guys know, you got the backpacks. (laughs) You love the cut and paste function so much on your computer that you plagiarize an entire term paper without giving credit. And the backpack's nowhere to be seen. Or it's a business dinner, you know? Whatever. Your your self-control is in your backpack. Everyone else is, like, getting loaded, but your backpack doesn't, it just doesn't go, it clashes with my business suit. I'm sorry. Folks, what I'm trying to say is that integrity and faith are connected. And when you compromise your integrity, you compromise your faith. The Bible tells us that God actually loves people of integrity. It's one of the few things, um, I shouldn't say few things, but it's one of the distinct things that pleases him. Proverbs 11 says this. It's It's in your notes there. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but let's read the second part together. But he delights in those with integrity. Circle those two words, detests and delights. You know what I wrote in the margin of my notes? I get to choose. 
in your life, you get to choose whether the Lord's going to detest your working hours or delight in your integrity. But when integrity is required, this is, this is the most easiest time to, for, to drop our backpack. We drop our backpack when money's involved. I realize money is like a sub-point under integrity, but it's big. Because there's a financial cost to being a person of integrity. I actually know a lot of people, and actually has nothing to do with whether they're Christian or, or not, a lot of people who will drop their backpack to make a buck. They'll drop their backpack, stop living God's way, and return for any dollar. See if this sounds familiar, right? Tax time, unlawful tax write-offs, whoa, or spending company money on personal items not recording cash transactions, or taking every opportunity to get more money on, 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 no matter what the fallout or the collateral damage might be to others. Even being willing to actually slice and dice a partner's reputation or steal someone else's leads so you can get it. Or this, I've got a lot of friends in sales. You discovered you have a gift, and you're actually so good at sales that you can manipulate anybody into buying anything, even if you know they don't need it. Just so you can get a commission. Or cheating your family out of the time that they so desperately need for you. Why? All because your ambition is off the charts and you put money and work before everything else. Whatever the temptation is for you folks, I, I don't know. If you feel that God's, that's God talking to you. But, but I do know that what I want for my life, it's what I want for yours. What I want for my life is to be able to take my faith, put it on, and live it out 24-7. And I've got to identify those areas of my life where I'm actually tempted to drop it most. What would it be for you? The fact of the matter is that the only way you're going to stay connected, that you've got a chance of declining the temptation to ditch your faith during the rest of your 24 hours, is to stay in touch with central command. Do you ever notice that there's one thing Jack Bauer never goes anywhere without? It's even more important than his gun. What is it, you know? Cell phone. <laughs> Folks, the conversation you began with God in the morning has to continue through the day if you're not just going to survive but thrive in staying connected for 24 hours. And that can only happen on a consistent basis through prayer, an ongoing conversation with God. That's the one thing Jack's never without, cell phone. And that represents your communication with God. You 24 fans know he is never out of touch with central command. And when he is, it's like bad things happen. Same in your spiritual life. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it actually tells all followers of Christ to pray without ceasing. In other words, that your conversation with God, which began in your waking hours, actually will continue through your working ones. It's ongoing. It doesn't end once you leave the house. Rather, it just it, it doesn't stop. How do you do that? I mean, I'll be honest. Pray without ceasing, it like, to me, it's like intimidating. It conjures up like images of like a monk locked away in a monastery somewhere. <laughs> and as we talk about prayer, again, I don't want you to get hung up on the amount of time you need to pray. Rather, I want to encourage you to begin taking periodic moments throughout your day to check in with God. And that can be through short prayers. It doesn't have to be long. <laughs> when Jesus taught his followers to pray, you know it as the Lord's Prayer. Short prayer. <laughs> Even if you read some of the longest prayers of the Bible, they're only going to take a couple minutes. But I want to downplay here is the emphasis on time. And I want to highlight the power of just connecting and dialing into God consistently throughout the day. I'll go real personal with you on this. For years, I knew a lot more about prayer than I ever experienced. I've been a Christian since I was a boy. I was educated, you know, at Christian schools, and I've known a lot about prayer. But I didn't experience it all that much or consistently. Most of the time, it was quickly in the morning or like before meals. And most of the time, I, I did. I just felt guilty. 
guilty that I wasn't one of those, you know, prayer warriors. I felt guilty when I read, you know, in seminary that Martin Luther, who led the Reformation, got up early and prayed for three hours a day before anybody awoke. I'm like, they didn't have TiVo then, you know. (laughs) That wasn't me. I felt all this guilt. And that continued until I realized that prayer actually was not about making me feel guilty, but actually God sees prayer as a gift, a resource for me to connect with him and be drawn into the daily adventure of living life not under my own strength, but under his power. And actually to draw on the, the, the wisdom and strength of my creator and actually do life together. God wants to do life with you. And, and that little tweak, and suddenly things began to change in my relationship. That prayer is actually, it's calling on, on God, the one who cares, and he wants to be by my side and say, God, I don't have what it takes this afternoon, so would you guide my actions? Would you influence my thoughts? Every, every waking moment of the next 12 hours... And when I discovered the kind of adventure that connection brings, it changed everything. Prayer no longer was this like religious routine. It became deeply personal. And now, I mean, again, it's waxes and wanes. But right now, when I go to pray, it's more out of the hunger to be with God. It's more like, like it's not guilt. It's like I miss him. <laughs> I got to check in because I'm counting on him to be present as I move through the challenges of the afternoon. There's a great book written by a pastor out in Chicago titled Too Busy Not to Pray. <laughs> I mean, most of us say, you know, well, I just don't have time. I, I would suggest that you are too busy actually not to pray. And in it, author Bill Hybels makes this clarifying observation. We put this in your notes as well. It boils down to this. If you are willing to invite God to involve himself in your daily life, you will experience his prevailing power. That power may come in the form of wisdom, an idea that you desperately need and can't come up with yourself. It may come in the form of courage greater than you could ever muster. It may come in the form of confidence or perseverance, uncommon staying power, changed attitude towards a spouse or child or a parent, or a changed circumstance, maybe even outright miracles. However it comes, God's prevailing power is released in the lives of people who pray. It's true. I've experienced it. And rather than spend a huge long time out praying in the woods, I find myself doing very covert daily, like kind of just breath prayers, you know, throughout the day. You know, before I'm I'm about to go in a big meeting, I just spend, you know, I may spend 10 minutes going over my notes, but I take another five minutes just praying. Not just asking God for success, but Lord, would you give me insight? Sometimes when I get together with some of you for coffee or lunch, during lunch conversations with a friend who I know is hurting, before I go, I actually check in with God. Like, Lord, how can I actually love this person well? I I don't even know. Lord, give me words of comfort to them. When, when When I'm at home, when I'm about to lose patience with my kids, I pray. Lord, would you just bring down your holy wrath on these guys, you know? <laughs> when I'm counseling a couple who needs help, I'm like, Lord, this is beyond, would you give me wisdom? You name it, that's what you were made for. To tether yourself to the source of all wisdom and keep that connection going all day without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18 says this. It says, let's actually read this together, ready? And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Keep that connection throughout the day. Quick opportunities just to wake up to what God's doing. It's the single thing, honestly, for me, that's allowed me to consistently keep my backpack on and actually be of some use to God. Close a little story. A kind of funny thing happened to me at the end of my day coming home from work last summer. You know, you guys, the 24 fans, you know, 
um, that the adventure is happening round the clock. It's not just like in the morning or during, you know, prime hours, but even during commercials, when you think that show is over and you're tempted to tune out. So check this out. And I'm on my way home from work one day, and it's like 6 p.m. or so, and I realize my truck is on E, so I pull into the Getty gas station, buy my house, you know, fill up on some gas. And, and I don't know what you do when you're filling up, but I, like, kind of usually tune out, you know, play with the radio, whatever. But this day, of all days, I actually tuned in. I did not put my backpack down. In fact, that morning, I had actually had a decent connection with God. Now, I'm not always consistent on this, but that morning, I spent some time, I actually spent some time reading, of all things, John 4, which is a story of Jesus interacting with this woman at this well. And without going into, like, all the details, it's basically the story about how Jesus met this hurting woman who was totally beaten down by life, she had a string of failed relationships, and he meets her at the town square where people come to, like, get water, and he ministers to her. He just takes time, actually, to listen to her and tell her that God knows who she is and that God cares. And, and it just, like, it, like, changes her life. Anyway, I read through this thing while eating my mug of, you know, Special K. Yes, I came over the dark side. Get healthy. All right. And during that time, God impressed on me this truth. Be ready to help someone who's hurting. Okay, it's like, it sounds good, Lord, or whatever. And it wasn't more specific than that, but it was significant enough that I actually wrote it down in my journal. I sometimes keep like a little diary of the things I see like God doing or the stuff he's like teaching me. And so as I'm filling up, I'm ready to go home from the day. I'm reading these words and I'm like, God, help me to, you know, be ready to help someone who's hurting. But I'm like, whatever, I'm looking at this in my journal. But I'm like, you know what, the day's over. Probably not for now, but whatever, help me anyway. So my tank's filled, I pay and I'm on my way. And as I'm pulling out, it happens. See, the gas station um, is right near the Hickory Shopping Center in, in Chatham. And I turned in there so that I could change directions and head back up the hill and go home. And it's got this big no left-hand turn sign on the exit. But people do this all the time. <laughs> and, 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 the, and the traffic didn't seem so bad. And I'm like, Lord, what do you think? Okay, let's just do it. And, and, and I'm like, I'm like, go for it. You know? And so I inch up. And I'm like, I'm just going to swing out left here. It doesn't seem like too bad. And so I literally like hit the, you know, hit the trigger like just to blink one time. And the minute I hit the left-hand turn signal, it's like, hey! And I'm like totally startled. I look in my rear view. And there is this mad woman in a Ford Taurus, just frantically gesturing. She's like, no, eh, 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 just laying on the horn. I'm like, what, 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 what the, you know, like way overzealous with the horn. And, and, and she rolls down her window. She rolls it down and she's like, well, you know, and I roll down the window. She goes, you can't go left, you jerk. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, 6.15 PM, New Jersey, here we go. Uh, and, and so I'm like, yeah, she's right, she's right. So I start backing up, right? But, there, but there's not much room to turn around, and now other cars are starting to back up. So you know what she does? Is I like put it in reverse and go forward, trying to do like a 90-point turn, right? As I, uh, great patience. And number three, and I lean out the window, and I roll down, and I'm like, could, could you please give me a break? I'm like, I am, I'm trying to turn around here. And she literally motions. She goes, I'm, so, she, I'm sorry, what? And I go, I said, could you please? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and by now, I'm getting fired up, man. <laughs> I could feel my spiritual gift of sarcasm just rising, you know? <laughs> All the things I can say at this moment. And, and again, I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I was blocked in. So I did something you're never supposed to do in New Jersey. I get out of the car. <laughs> I like get out of the car and I go, just, I go, I, can you please stop the honking? 
and, and I start walking over to her car. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do here, but this is when it turned, because then I think she got nervous, because she starts rolling up the window. And, and I'm actually a little bit nervous as I'm walking towards her, and literally in that moment, I am, like, getting out my phone, you know, I'm just like, God, what do you want me to do here? You know, can you help me? And in the midst of the chaos, I hear, help someone who's hurting. And Larry, this is a matter of seconds. So I walk up to her window, and she is literally, you know, she's rolling the thing up, and I'm, I'm like... Like, I'm, and she's not even, like, looking at me. She's like, you know, like, and I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like, I just need a minute to turn around. I, I was wrong. I shouldn't have tried to go left. And she rolls down the window and in. She goes, you got that right. You're wrong. Would you move it? And, and, and I start walking, you know, I'm like, okay. I start walking back to my car. And I, again, you're not even going to believe this. I literally turn around and guess what she does? And that was like it. I walked back to that window and as I, I go, I'm like, Lord, am I getting angry here? What do you want? I'm like, would you please? I go, I, I go, what is, what? I'm sorry. Is something wrong? Do you have a, do you have a problem? And she's like, yes, you, you know? She's like, you're not supposed to go left. Now you're making all of us late. And I'm like, you know what? You are right. I go, I am not a perfect person. In fact, I am a sinner. I drop a little church language in there, right? I am a sinner. I go, but honestly, I go, ma'am, I, your, your response just seems like, pretty extreme is 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 there can i do something for you besides moving my car i just don't hit the horn and at that moment she's not even looking me in the eye she puts her head down she's like she goes i just and her eyes start welling with tears and i go i go ma'am are you are you all right and she puts her face in her, and she goes i i just i can't do this anymore and she just starts sobbing and I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, you know, and, and, and I motion for the other cars to go around. And this is in the middle of the ShopRite parking lot, okay, of all places. And so she pulls over into the corner of the lot and I get back in my car and I head over to hers. And man, I am like ringing myself. I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do now? I am rummaging through my backpack like crazy. And I pull up alongside her and she's actually already out of her cars and the tears are flowing down her face. And, and I'm like, I'm so, I'm so, what, what's, what's the matter? I go, can I, can I do something? And she's wearing these sunglasses, these huge sunglasses. She takes them off. She's just like, I'm just sorry. I just don't, I don't, I just, I just I lost my job an hour ago. And she just starts crying again. And that's how I did the number two thing you're never supposed to do in New Jersey. I touched a stranger. I, I put my hand on her shoulder. You just don't do that. And I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. She's like, I'm a teacher and it's my tenure year. She goes, and I, I was supposed to be a lock. That's what my principal told me. I work with handicapped kids. She goes, in this afternoon, he calls me and he tells me they're not renewing my contract. And now I don't know, even, you know what I'm going to do with my mother. I, I take care of my mother. She's at home. She's sick. I'm the primary caregiver. And she like, starts crying. And I'm, I'm looking. I'm like, God, what do you want me to do here? And I remember his words from that morning to me, be ready to help someone who's hurting, like Jesus did with the woman at the well. And so I'm like, look, I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to be weird here, but can I, can I pray for you? She's just like looking down. She's like, well, yeah, I mean, you're supposed to, aren't you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, what do you mean? She goes, you're that pastor, right? <laughs> I've, I've been to your church. <laughs> and at that moment, I'm thinking all of the things I could have said, you know, and she was like laying on the horn. But this, I remembered my backpack. I had been nourished spiritually that morning. Before I left the house, and, and I stayed in touch with God, and here we are at 6.22 p.m., end of the day, and it's like, now is time for some kingdom work. And so we sat there next to her Ford Taurus, and, and I just prayed for her. 
It's just like, Lord, would you bring your peace to... I'm sorry, what's your name? You know, Marilyn, Marilyn. I would just pray for Marilyn, Lord. She is hurting. This is, but we know... And we prayed. And I prayed for God's provision for her and her mom. And it, and it was beautiful. And it was weird. Easily the strangest ending to any 24-hour period I've ever had in my life. And when, when, when she, we opened our eyes together, and she, she it was amazing because she was like, thank you for that. She goes, I, she goes, I was driving home so angry. I, I just, I thought no one cared. She goes, but now... I know someone does. God cares. She goes, and he sent you to tell me that. That's why he had you try to go through the left lane, which you're not supposed to do. It's illegal. And I'm just like, let's not ruin the moment, okay? Let's just... But as she drove off, I was like, holy smokes. Thank you, God. You fed me that morning. You supplied me through the day. And you gave me insight and compassion when it was needed most. And I can tell you that doesn't come naturally to me. And I remember going back up the hill... And walking in the front door, and Colleen's like, hey, so how was your day? Anything interesting happen? <laughs> and I'm like, nope, just another 24 hours. <laughs> Folks, God doesn't just want to be present in your life so that things can run more smoothly for you during the day. He wants to use you. He wants to use you as his agent, kind of like Jack Bauer. But instead of you know, stopping terrorists or killing bad guys, he wants you to be an agent of his love and grace in a broken world. And truth be told, the only way that's going to happen is if you stay vitally connected to him around the clock, from the moment you get up to the moment you close your eyes. It's actually possible. I can tell you, I'm not a perfect person. I am not a spiritual superstar. But it's possible to spend a day connected to God and actually experience faith as the adventure it was meant to be lived. I was like, I got to be God's hands and feet in comfort for this lady for only one reason. I took my backpack with me. I brought it with me in my truck. And, and as I thought about that, I was like, how many other times are these opportunities out there, but I'm just not awake to it because I'm, I'm, I'm out of connection. But God's presence was felt by me, by her, and it made all the difference in my daily adventure. Here's my challenge to you today. 510, get started. Get started tomorrow with any of these spiritual habits. If you wake up in the morning tomorrow and rush right into the conference room or the classroom and you ignore God first thing, I want to encourage you just to start with one of these habits. Any one of the five. Maybe it's stillness. Right? Maybe I just don't flip on the TV sports center this morning. Maybe I just take that moment to be still and speak with God. Scripture, whatever. Develop that habit and begin to add the others. Here's why I care so deeply that you get this. It's because when I talk to many of you here at Liquid, I meet so many wonderful people who want to grow in more of God in their life, yet I also meet many people who I would say are living powerless Christian lives. They've got the label Christian, but for the most part, their life is distant and unconnected from God on a daily basis. You know, maybe they check in with them every once in a while. I want so badly for you to get this, where every day, even if it's just for a few moments, you check in and connect with God and you hold his hand, you take him with you for 24 hours, it is going to make a tremendous difference in your life. When you understand that living in the presence of God, it's like a banquet. But many people live like they're spiritually starving, you know? We refuse to eat, our souls are malnourished, and we become like spiritual taste testers. You know, we, we dine at the buffet on Sunday, but my hope is that tomorrow you would wake up and of your own initiative, wake up to God's banquet table and, and don't pass it by. I'm just asking for five or ten minutes. I'm not saying quit your job and live in the woods as a monk. Five minutes. Show of hands, how many think what I'm talking about is doable tomorrow morning? Tomorrow morning. My prayer is that right now you would feel that gentle tug on your heart, that small whispered voice that says, you know what, he's talking to you. 
this is what you need. This is for you. And maybe a year from now, six months from now, you look back on this day as a day when, when, when you awakened, awakened to the power of what it's like to connect with God for 24 hours and see it change your life. On your connection card in your bulletin, I'm going to fill these out in a few minutes. We've put a next step on the back for you to take. We are, one of the things that Liquid Detail, we are very big on small steps. <laughs> and perhaps you want to commit to today. It says, taking Pastor Tim's 24 a day with Jesus challenge starting tomorrow morning. You're, you're not locked in for the week, but if you've heard God speaking to you, would you check that box after we close in worship? Because I would love for tomorrow, Monday morning, April 16th, to be a day where we all take a step forward in this together. Maybe you've let your connection with God go lax. You've been in a bit of a dry spell. And this is, this is just an invitation to jumpstart it fresh tomorrow and just see what God does. It's time. Time to stop feeling guilty. Time to get started. It's doable. You raise your hand 24 hours, one day in the presence and power of God. And we'll take that step together. Let's pray. God, you know our hearts. Um, we want to connect with you. So many of us, Lord, we walk past you in the morning with all the best intentions to reconnect later, and we'd never do. So, God, we're, we're tired of living disconnected lives. Would you please help us create these habits so that we can begin every day with a recognition of your presence and begin to live an adventure with you and for you? We ask for help in this. In the great and powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen.